This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. We need every so often on this program to basically take stock of the volume of material that's piled up, things that we haven't gotten to, and address them. Today's show will be one of those. But there's so much to talk about that, you know, where to begin? So let's try and catch up. I do want to note uh, regarding last week's program, it really was a great pleasure to finally bring Dr. Dina Dell to Radio Parallax. For 30 years, Dina Dell has made a career out of taking what's in the news and the medical news and making sense of it. That's something that we try and do on this program as well, and we certainly owe Dr. Dean a, a debt, a certain debt for what he has done for so many years before we ever tried our hand at this. One, uh, one side note is that uh, we did edit out one small moment of that interview where I did find myself in slight disagreement with Dr. Dean. This itself I found rather remarkable because there have been so few times over the decades that I have found any cause to disagree with the good advice dispensed by Dean Adele. But at some future time, when, when the moment is right, we will, we, will, we will re-air that excerpt that was removed from last week's interview. And of course, while we were at it on last week's program, we dug up something from three decades ago, more than three decades ago, and, and aired that excerpt from Perry Schreiner, court-appointed lawyer. In this correspondence view, that was probably the funniest bit that ever aired on the National Lampoon Radio Hour. The Radio Hour was itself a spin-off of, uh, of the National Lampoon, which in the early 1970s was about the funniest thing in print. And, of course, directly influenced not only the Radio Hour, but both Saturday Night Live and Second City Television, along with movies such as Animal House, Caddyshack, and really a whole generation of humor which followed. You may have noticed the voices of both Gilda Radner and John Belushi, future uh, SNL uh, participants on that, uh, on that show, as well as Harold Ramis and Joe Flaherty, who went on to, uh, to uh, Second City Television, Ghostbusters, etc. And also playing the district attorney was Brian Doyle Murray, Bill's brother. Anyway, we'd like to thank Don, uh, one of our Los Angeles correspondents who alertly was able to find that clip for us. And believe you me, it was not easy. Let's begin this program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is February the 19th. On this date in 1601 in England, the Earl of Southampton, I believe it's pronounced Henry Riothsley, although I'm never quite sure about how they pronounce things over there you know, with Leicester cheese and Worcestershire sauce, etc. But anyway, the Earl, who was a patron of William Shakespeare, was tried for treason for reviving Richard II, a play that tells the story of overthrowing a monarch. We accept the view of Mark Anderson and others that the Earl of Southampton was actually the secret flame of Edward de Vere, Earl of Oxford, the real author of the Shakespearean canon. On February 19th in 1861, the Russian Tsar Alexander II abolished serfdom, thereby beating Abraham Lincoln to the punch by two years. 
On this date in 1906, Michigan cereal makers W.K. Kellogg and Charles Bolin incorporate the Battle Creek Toasted Corn Flake Company, which I believe is the ancestor of Kellogg's today, but there were two Kellogg brothers, and they had a falling out, so I'm not sure. On this date in 1915, in an attempt to remove Turkey as a force in World War I, Allied forces begin a campaign to push through the Straits of the Dardanelles between the Aegean Sea and the Sea of Marmara, which is halfway to the Black Sea. The Gallipoli campaign was little short of a disaster, ending with an evacuation in January of 1916, costing a quarter of a million Allied and a quarter of a million Turkish lives. On this date in 1942, U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signs Executive Order 9066, which was used to relocate more than 110,000 Japanese Americans from their homes on the West Coast to remote internment camps around the country. The roundup was facilitated by the United States Census Bureau, which provided the government with the names and addresses of the appropriate citizens they wanted to relocate. Think about that next time you're filling out your census form. Personally, I give them my name, my age, and my address, which I think is about all they're entitled to. And on this date in 1977, a deep-sea research vessel off the Galapagos Island discovered a thriving ecosystem of worms, clams, and crabs, which centered around geothermal hot water vents on the floor of the ocean. This was far beyond the reach of sunlight. It was the first ecosystem discovered that was dependent upon the oxidation of hydrogen sulfide spewing from the vents and not from photosynthesis. Although since that time we've discovered uh, extremophile organisms in all kinds of places where scientists never dreamed they would turn up, such as miles down in solid rock and on dust particles 100,000 feet up in the atmosphere. Our quote of the day comes from President Barack Obama, who commented, This has been tougher than finding a commerce secretary, referring to his search for a new White House dog, which apparently the first family has narrowed down to a choice between a Labradoodle or a Portuguese water dog. And I'm sorry to report, I don't know what a Portuguese water dog is, even though I am a Portuguese extraction myself. We will, however, try and research that one. Our quip of the day comes from whistleblower Harry Markopoulos, the man who tried to blow the whistle on Bernard Madoff nine years ago, who said, if you flew the entire SEC staff, that's Securities and Exchange Commission staff, to Boston and sat them in Fenway Park, they wouldn't be able to find first base. The joke of the day comes from Jay Leno, who said, we've got some good news and some bad news about FEMA. The bad news is that FEMA says that some of the disaster relief food they have may contain salmonella-tainted peanut butter. But the good news is, since it's FEMA, it'll be years before it gets to anybody. Our stat of the day is that 55% of Cuban-Americans now favor ending the 46-year-old U.S. embargo on trade and travel with Fidel Castro's Cuba. This is the first time, reportedly, that a majority of Cuban-Americans has held this view. And I think we should go now to the good, the bad, and the ugly. Actually, before we go to the good, the bad, and the ugly, I have to quote from the faux news section of the Humor Times for their following reporting. Washington, D.C. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi announced today that the 111th Congress would be proudly displaying corporate logos on their suits. 
and many will even be wearing special NASCAR-like uniforms to accommodate multiple logos. Plans are afoot to sell billboard space within the congressional chambers as well, with the prime spots, like the speaker's podium, fetching the biggest fees. Eventually, the naming rights to the U.S. Capitol will be auctioned off. Reportedly, corporations are lining up to start the bidding, with Nike hoping to install a neon swoosh on the Capitol Dome and naming it the Just Do It Congress. Meanwhile, Microsoft is placing their bid for a Windows on the World Congress and a Microsoft logo lapel pin for all congressmen replacing those outdated flag pins. I I do want to note a column from Bunker C. Hill in the San Francisco Chronicle back in the 1960s proposed the same idea. Personally, we think there is much merit in the idea. Wouldn't it be nice to know who owned your various representatives? All right, now let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for either R. Sathis Raj or Sabarish Raj, Malaysian identical twins who were freed by a judge in a death penalty case because police were unable to say which of the brothers had been caught trafficking drugs. We do have to commend Judge Zaharan Ibrahim who said, I can't be sending the wrong person to the gallows, which we think is an appropriate sentiment. Of course, it was a bad week last week for the Kremlin, after a 13-year-old Russian girl wrote to President Dmitry Medvedev asking for a pet guinea pig. She was then forced by officials to apologize for wasting the president's time. (laughs) Evidently, after newspapers reported the incident and the Kremlin realized it had something of a PR problem on its hands, Medvedev then sent the girl two guinea pigs. And, and finally, it was an ugly week last week for aficionados of superheroes. After Sacramento police arrested a man who donned a cape and allegedly robbed an adult bookstore with a wooden sword. According to police spokesman, David William Hadin entered the Lamour shop on Broadway and went to an area of the store that features sexual enhancing devices. Hadeen was described as wearing an American flag sequined hat, a green shirt, blue jeans, tennis shoes, and a red cape. He was also carrying a three-foot-long wooden sword. Hadeen allegedly took one of the enhancing devices, reportedly worth about $200, and waved the sword at the clerk as if to ward him off. Said police, the clerk didn't approach him. After the clerk called the police, they reportedly had no trouble finding the suspect matching his description. He apparently was still wearing his American flag sequined hat and red cape. The sword was reportedly lying on the ground along with the apparatus described as having appeared to have been opened. Now we're sure there's a lesson in this story for all of us. We're just not quite sure what it is. And uh, here's an item from the Only in America file, courtesy of The Week magazine. Apparently a Colorado high school senior faces expulsion for having three fake rifles in the back of her car, even though 
She's a member of the Young Marines drill team. Apparently, Marie Morrow, who has a 3.5 grade point average, uses the wooden rifles during drill practice. But school district policy prescribes mandatory expulsion for any student found with even lifelike facsimiles of weapons. So there you have it. The race goes on between medical administrators and school administrators. Who are the dumbest? You know, if you have an opinion on that, why don't you send it to us at info at radioparallax.com. All right, let's do some follow-up. We mentioned uh, a little while back that they're planning to take out 900 trees, among them five-foot-wide oaks along the levees of California, thanks to the ill-advised building project that took place out in the North Natomas floodplain. Sacramento Bee did report that 800 of those 900 trees appear to be native oaks, mostly valley oaks, which are a protected heritage tree species. And yes, when the rains break a bit, we're going to go out and take a look at what's going out there on the levees, because apparently there's plans to take out 2,000 more trees as they extend this uh, rebuilding project into 37 more miles of levees. We think this is the kind of story that just transcends uh, local politics. I think we have a lot of listeners over in Europe and in Asia, and I think you too have things they shouldn't do. And I did note that in the Sacramento Bee a couple weeks back, they noted there was a hearing set on a call to cut Delta freshwater outflow. A little blurb by Matt Weiser, who we talked to a few weeks back about this grandiose plan to divert yet more water to Southern California in the future. I didn't manage to make this meeting, but I'm not sure if anybody made this meeting. According to the little, little article, the hearing will be in the Byronshire Auditorium in the Cal EPA building on I Street. The State Water Resources Control Board has not set a firm time, but it will be after 1 p.m. upon conclusion of the regular board meeting. And that's a story that you can bet we're going to keep following. As follow-up on our talk with Tom Bleese a couple weeks back about uh, the integrated about the integrated fast reactor, which may or may not be able to solve many of our future energy problems, I noted that The Economist reports that uh, they're giving nuclear power a rethink in the Nordic countries. Some of the political leadership in Sweden unveiled a plan to reverse Sweden's 30-year-old ban on building new nuclear uh, plants. And uh, this, this policy has been echoed in nearby Finland, where a company called Fortum has lodged an application to build a new nuclear plant. Some weeks back, we spoke with Bruce Bronstein about the passing of uh, sci-fi legend Forrest Ackerman. Bruce talked about his remarkable collection of uh, science fiction-related materials. It turns out that uh, thousands of items that Mr. Ackerman gathered over the years are going to the auction block. Included among them are the Count Dracula ring worn by Bela Lugosi in the 1931 horror classic movie Dracula and the vampire cape that Lugosi wore for decades. Also up for sale will be notable pieces such as a signed first edition copy of Mary Shelley's novel Frankenstein, as well as a first edition copy of Bram Stoker's Dracula, signed not only by Stoker, but also by Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff, and other horror film notables. The auction, tentatively scheduled for late April, is expected to raise a half million dollars. And you know, we're going to see if we can't uh, send Bruce to attend that auction and, and bring us back some good stories. We talked some time back about how in Thailand, uh, the monarchy is actually very influential in the politics of the country. 
And they take, quote, insults, unquote, against the monarchy. Seriously, how about this story? An Australian novelist was sentenced to three years in a Thai prison last month for insulting the monarchy. Harry Nicolaides had been in prison since last August when he was arrested in Bangkok because of a paragraph, a paragraph in his self-published 2006 book, Versimilitude, which sold a grand total of seven copies. The Thai media refused to quote the paragraph, which cited rumors about the crown prince's private life for fear themselves of repeating the offense. Nicolaides wept as he pled guilty, saying he'd seen horrors during his six months in prison, saying it feels like a bad dream. It's noted that the author may not have to serve additional time because the king has been known to pardon foreigners in similar cases. And isn't that big of him? A few months back, we talked about how Canada might not be offering refuge to uh, deserters as it did during the Vietnam era, and indeed, last week a deserter returned from Canada after four years on the run. He surrendered to military police to face a court-martial. This was uh, Cliff Cornell, age 29, who abandoned his artillery unit based in Fort Stewart near Savannah in 2005, shortly before it was deployed to Iraq. He returned to the U.S. after Canadian authorities refused to grant him asylum. Cornell, who enlisted in 2002, said he deserted to avoid killing Iraqi civilians. I know it sounds funny, he said, before turning himself in, but I really have a soft heart. Cornell faces up to five years in prison if convicted of desertion. And speaking of Iraq, how about the Inspector General's report from a couple weeks ago, noting that the Army and Marine Corps officials knew a decade before the invasion of Iraq, at least a decade before, that its workhorse Humvee vehicle was a death trap, even with armor added to protect it against roadside bombs. There are quite a few investigations going on into war profiteering regarding some of the, uh, the contractors that were allegedly supposed to rebuild Iraq. <laughs> what a concept. And we'll talk more about that in future programs, but um, not today. Here's one we heard from Dr. Dean Adele. Apparently, legions of legalized marijuana advocates are urging a boycott of Kellogg Company, including all of its popular munchies, for deciding to cut ties with Olympic swimming hero Michael Phelps after he was photographed inhaling from a bong. We may have made passing note of this item previously, but uh, what strikes me... Dr. Dean pointed out, was the fact that Michael Phelps had previously gotten in trouble with a drunk driving offense, which apparently was just fine with the people at Kellogg's. So Dr. Dean was asking the question, legitimately we think, that why should it be okay to be a drunk driver and not okay to take a hit off a bong? The, the anti-drug people in this country are so concerned about sending the wrong message, we have to ask, isn't that sending the wrong message. Let's close our segment with a kind of item that we know Dr. Dean would just love. Apparently, New Scientist magazine reported recently on the latest, quote, breakthrough, unquote, in dealing with weight loss. It's described as sounding unappealing, but reversible and reportedly safer than surgery. What is it? Well, and I think you'd have a hard time guessing this one, but it's called the gastric condom. It's a device that is described as looking like a tampon applicator. It's inserted through the mouth and into the stomach. Once it's reached the bottom of the stomach, the device opens up, anchoring itself and releasing a length of plastic tubing, 
and no, I'm not making this up, into the first two feet of the small intestine. Like a sausage casing, the tubing will surround food, preventing it from being absorbed by the walls of the intestine as it passes through the body. This effectively reduces the number of calories that can be absorbed from a given amount of food. Researcher Stuart Randall told the magazine that when tested on rats, a smaller version of the device resulted in both significant weight loss and a reversal of type 2 diabetes. And reportedly, the the device could be removed in just 10 minutes by being pulled through the mouth. But I'd say you better stock up on your scope before you try that. My personal suggestion, don't be the first one on your block to try this one. This reminds me of a friend of mine who told me that a gal she knew went out and got the stomach stapling. You know, you kind of reduce the capacity of your stomach and therefore you can't eat as much and you know people who get this are sometimes able to lose weight well my my friend reported the conversation she had with with her buddy who said yeah she learned that what you needed to do was just eat more slowly so yes this person apparently went through the bother of getting her stomach stapled and then figured out how to thwart that method anyway P.T. Barnum once said, no one's going to go broke underestimating the intelligence of the American public. We'll talk more medical stuff in segment two. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. 